Born in 1930, Charlene Alexander Mitchell seemed to emerge from the womb as a force to be reckoned with. Although she already had two strikes against her, being born a girl and a black girl at that, she stood her ground when her rights were challenged. What do three former car hops have in common? We, we all want a woman president. president. I'm Paula. I'm Kathy. I'm Augie. Did you know there have been 59 presidential elections and 46 presidents? Women have run for president 137 times. Represented their party on the official U.S. presidential ballot 66 times and zero have been elected. Some have predicted it will be another 240 years before we see a woman president of the United States. It's time to commit our votes to women who run for president, even if they're not perfect. We vote for imperfect men all the time. If you don't vote for the first woman president, there will never be a second, third, or fourth. So pick the imperfect qualified candidate that shares your vision. And vote for her. Vote for her. Vote for her. To put this episode in context, here are a few historical events leading up to and including the years this candidate ran for president. 1959 to 1968. 1959, Alaska and Hawaii became the 49th and 50th states. 1960. The era of civil rights conflict expanded, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous I Have a Dream speech from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. The Civil Rights Act of 1960 established federal inspection of local voter registration polls and penalties for those attempting to obstruct someone's voting rights. November 22, 1963, President Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. The Feminine Mystique book by Betty Friedan sparked the second wave of the women's liberation movement, which challenged the belief that women should only be a housewife slash mother. The Beatles song, I Want to Hold Your Hand, swept the country, and the 24th Amendment outlawed the poll tax that in some states required some citizens to pay to vote. The tax was about $30 to $60 in today's money. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 prohibited discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin, and ended legalized racial segregation in the United States. 1965, Thurgood Marshall was the first African-American appointed as a Supreme Court Justice. Medicaid and Medicare were enacted. 1966, the National Organization of Women was formed. Summer of 1967, the U.S. prepared for race riots that erupted in 159 cities nationwide. April 4, 1968, civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And now let's see how today's candidate impacted history. Charlene Alexander Mitchell was born in Cincinnati, Ohio on January 1, 1930. Charlene's father, Charles Alexander, was born in East Point, Georgia in 1908. Her mother was Naomi Taylor Alexander, and she was born in Dyersburg, Tennessee in 1906. In a story that is often told by Charlene, her self-confidence and tenacity shines through. At the age of seven in Cincinnati, Ohio, when her labor activist father, Charles Alexander, was in federal jail and her mother was too ill to make the trip, Charlene was able to make the long, scary journey 
with transfers on several buses to visit her father and bring him a basket of goods. She argued with the guards who tried to tell her visiting hours were over. They were not and got her way and wouldn't let them take the basket of goods for inspection and got her way. And then jumped right into her father's arms after the guards told her not to touch him. At this point, they just gave up, realizing they were no match for this seven-year-old. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it amazes me. <laughs> yep. The family moved to Illinois not long after. Her mother was a housewife, and her father was a laborer and roundhouse railroad worker who, like many African-Americans in Chicago during the 1930s, was involved in local politics. He was the Democratic Party precinct captain, and then he eventually joined the Communist Party. Charlene grew up during the Second World War and lived in various locations around the Chicago area. She went to Waller High School, lived in the Cabrini Green Row Houses on Chicago's north side between the Chicago River and Lake Michigan. Her personality traits and convictions only grew stronger as she grew older. In 1943, at the age of 13, she had organized a group of white and black teenagers and was picketing at the Windsor Theater in the near north side of Chicago, where black customers were segregated to a balcony and also at the nearby segregated bowling alley. She didn't have much success with picketing and leafletting and organized a sit-in at the theater with the white members of their group going to the segregated balcony and the black members taking seats in the whites-only section. It started with the kids in the American Youth for Democracy, but by the time they got through about the second demonstration, a lot of the kids from the neighborhood joined in. So began her career in activism. And persistence. Wait, what happened with the protest at the theater? The management didn't quite know what to do. They couldn't tell the white kids they couldn't sit in the balcony. So if the white kids stayed up there, then they would be integrated anyway. And finally, after about three times of doing that, everybody else joined in and they stopped segregating seating. She got her way again. Sometime in 1957, while Charlene was in New York for a meeting, she heard about a demonstration that was going to be held in Washington, D.C. She found it interesting as she realized it was somewhat of a mixture of a militant aspect of the youth movement and the peace movement. It was 1960 when she went to London and met up with Claudia Jones, who she knew from New York City. Claudia was a member of the leading committees of the Communist Party and had been deported to London. Claudia introduced Charlene to Yusuf Dado, a past member of the Indian Congress of South Africa and a current member of the Communist Party. Charlene was very impressed about his knowledge and understanding of Africa and why South Africa was so important. This may be where her interest in international political events and world travel began. What kind of world travel? Oh, England, Denmark, Finland, Sweden, Germany. When there were two Germanys, she was in both parts, East and West. Czechoslovakia, Bulgaria, the Soviet Union several times, North Korea, Sierra Leone, Guinea-Bissau, and Guinea-Conakry, South Africa several times, Namibia, Portugal, Spain, Mexico several times, Cuba, the Caribbean, Morocco, Puerto Rico, and the airport in Lima, Peru. Why was she only in the airport in Lima, Peru? 
At that time, there were no direct flights to the US from Cuba. So it was the only way she could get home from Cuba. What year was that? 1970. The more she learned about the injustice around the world, the better she understood the issues in the US were similar to oppression everywhere. Throughout the 1950s and 1960s, Mitchell was a leading member of the American Communist Party, developing and improving connections with black labor activists and early civil rights groups. It was no surprise that 22 years after her protest at the Windsor Theater, Charlene Mitchell announced her run for the presidency. As a third party candidate in the 1968 election, she represented the Communist Party USA. Mitchell was the first African-American woman to run for president of the United States. And the first black woman to receive her party's nomination. Charlene Mitchell was the first woman and the first black candidate to receive valid votes for her party in a general presidential election. In fact, she received 1,075 votes. Not bad for a third party black woman candidate in 1968 who was only on the ballot in two states. And she was only 38 years old. Charlene ran a low key campaign run out of the Frederick Douglass bookstore in Boston where Harvard Crimson journalist, Nicholas Garrigan's profile interview was conducted. He noted that Mitchell quote, spent almost as much time helping friends by watching the store and answering the telephone as she does campaigning, end quote. He conveyed the sincerity of Mitchell's political beliefs. As part of her platform, Charlene Mitchell contended that what we need is a revolutionary transformation. Replacing white capitalism with black capitalism isn't gonna solve the problems of poverty. The problems of poverty are rooted in the nature of capitalism itself. Her run raised the ire of some. The Chicago Tribune printed her run for the office was to dramatize what the communists perceived to be the nation's major discontents. Is that a bad thing? I mean, isn't that what campaigns are about? Solving the problems of the party's members? Indeed. In reality, Charlene was a symbolic candidate. And the thing about symbolic candidates is that they create ripples. And if you don't think so, if you think Charlene's run for office without a chance to win was a waste of energy, here's what political scientist Christina Greer, PhD, had to say. Quote, so I started thinking there would be no historic Barack Obama campaign and election without Jesse Jackson, Greer said, and there would be no Jesse Jackson without Shirley Chisholm, but there would be no Shirley Chisholm without Charlene Mitchell, end quote. Greer concluded with, quote, there's something about symbolic candidates that over time actually contributes to legitimate party politics, end quote. Pretty sure the first woman vice president would agree with that assessment, as she might agree with this statement. Charlene's nomination was framed by the, quote, twin jeopardies of race and sex, end quote. Mitchell also provides an important reminder of how Black women struggled to be taken seriously as political leaders 
As scholars have argued, Mitchell emerged as one of the party's most influential leaders during the 1950s and the 1960s. Often she spoke of the need for a, quote, counter vision with counter values to replace the American dream. When I talk about the need for the people to own the means of production, she explained, I don't mean that each worker in a factory would own the machine he works at. It's different. It's that the profits of a company, instead of going into the pockets of the owner, come back to benefit the people who work for the company. Among many other prestigious roles, in 1994, Charlene Mitchell served as an official international observer of the first democratic elections in post-apartheid South Africa and was an observer at the Congress of the South African Communist Party that year. She left the Communist Party USA in the 1980s and now belongs to the Committee of Correspondence for Democracy and Socialism, or the CCDS. Writer and CCDS militant Carl Blois celebrated Mitchell's globe-embracing vision and work at the 2009 CCDS convention. He revealed to the audience, quote, I have a picture on my wall at home. It's of a hall full of Bulgarian communists, all smiling, and right in the middle is one black woman, Charlene, end quote. As an example of her long career of unrelenting activism and persistence is perhaps most famously illustrated in the success of the campaign to free Angela Davis, who was incarcerated in 1970, which she led alongside Kendra Alexander and Franklin Alexander. Davis described the effort to free her spearheaded by Mitchell as, quote, one of the most impressive mass international campaigns of the 20th century, end quote. Davis also noted, quote, I have never known anyone as consistent in her values, as collective in her outlook on life, as firm in her trajectory as a freedom fighter, end quote. In later years, Mitchell remained an important party figurehead and respected organizer. This woman worked tirelessly toward her beliefs of equal rights for all. With the incredible impact Charlene made through her activism and organizing, it's surprising most people are unaware of her. Or is it? After all of her world travels, Charlene now lives in the New York area. We'd like to convey our immense gratitude and respect for the many women who have run for president. And to all the women, past, present, and emerging, who bring us closer to cracking the patriarchal system, we say thank you. We love to hear from you. You can join the growing group of A Woman President fans and let the Carhops know what's going on in your mind regarding the courageous women presented in this podcast. For comments, questions, show notes, and resources, or to just join our email list, visit our website, awomanpresident.com. We won't sell your information, and we only occasionally send out short and sweet updates. Thanks for listening, and thank you for recommending the podcast to your friends. Remember, you too can be a super spreader for our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this episode has been brought to you by Carhop Productions. So until the next installment, our hope is that you will be inspired, be involved, be heard, and be kind. Ta-ta for now, the Carhops.